All right. All right, everyone, take your seats, please. This time we're talking about commitment devices, so please take your seats. Thank you. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. In this show, we draw on our decades of experience coaching people on their nutrition, movement, and health goals to offer you insights and practical strategies that you can use to create a healthy mindset, habits, and lifestyle. Glad you're here. I'm Monica Reinagle. And I'm Brock Armstrong. If you have ever come up with a strategy or a scheme to keep yourself from succumbing to temptation, well, you have experimented with a thing called a commitment device. And, as you'll see, you are definitely not the first person to try this. Not by a long shot. Now, in this episode, we're going to teach you about the different types of commitment devices and whether they might be useful in staying on track with whatever you're trying to accomplish in your life, whether that's breaking a habit or establishing a new behavior or meeting a challenge that you have set for yourself. Yeah, definitely nothing new about commitment devices. The first one I can find is 3,000 years ago. When the ancient Greek poet Homer describes a commitment device used by the hero in his epic poem, The Odyssey. Right. So just to refresh everyone's memory, Odysseus had to sail with his men past the island of the Sirens. And these mythical creatures were said to sing so bewitchingly, much like me when I'm singing. Right. Sing so (laughs) bewitchingly that every sailor that heard them would lose their minds run their ships into the rocks off the island and perish. Now, the biggest difference between you and the sirens, you're not a half bird, half woman. True that. And I also <laughs> don't have like a litter of shipwrecks around right. around my home. But anyway, so Odysseus wanted to make it safely past the island, but he also really wanted to hear the siren's song for himself. So he invented a commitment device. Although actually, Brock, this whole thing is actually Cersei's idea. She's right. actually the brains of the operation. Which actually is quite uh, quite usual in the Odyssey. Well, There's right. an awful lot of people pulling each other's strings, and usually it's her. Cersei, right. And But who's the hero of the story? The guy. Yeah. Okay, but anyway. So <laughs> at Cersei's suggestion, Odysseus instructs his men to lash him to the mast of his ship. There, he'll be able to hear the song, but he won't be able to steer the ship into the rocks. And then he has his crew plug up their own ears with beeswax so that they can't hear the song and they can safely pilot the ship past the island. Sounds pretty sound. (laughs) What could go wrong, right? But the point is that as powerful as he is, Odysseus realizes his limits. He knows that he's going to be unable to resist the siren song when he hears it. And that the results of succumbing to that will be disastrous. So he puts something in place ahead of time that will save him from his own bad impulses. So it worked for Odysseus. They do make it past the island. The question is, can this work for you? You know, I was just thinking, is Homer the original self-help author based on this? Uh, no, I, actually, I think there was a fair amount of competition because Confucius is writing right oh. around this same time and Lao Tzu and fair enough. they had a whole shelf at the prehistoric borders books. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's talk about a couple of examples of commitment devices. Right. How does this relate to today? Right, when we're not actually having to sail past islands inhabited by mythical bird creatures. But... 
I think that people often feel the same way about snacks and treats that Odysseus felt about those sirens, right? Like once, how often have we heard this? Once 8 p.m. rolls around, people just feel powerless to resist whatever is there in the snack cupboard. Mm -hmm. So a very obvious commitment device that we recommend all the time is don't keep those tempting treats in your house. So in this case, you'd be taking steps ahead of time at the grocery store that are going to keep your future self out of trouble. Right. And the idea here is that you have more self-control while you're doing the grocery shopping than you will later that night on the couch. And you realize that. And I think this works really well for a lot of people. And there's another version of this, which I actually do in my own life. And and just the other day in our weight loss program, the program Monica and I run together for weight loss, we have this private forum where we are chatting. And I was giving an example of exactly how we can, uh, in our terms, cut our cravings down to size. And I described a situation just from my own life just a couple days ago where I finished lunch and was thinking, oh, man, I could use something sweet. I've got some ice cream. I could go for some ice cream. But then the other part of my brain was like, oh, but you're watching a hockey game later and you're going to want some beer with the, the hockey game later on. So I made a little deal with myself that I'd go and do some chores before I had the ice cream. And sure enough, I forgot about the ice cream. And I also forgot about the beer because my commitment device is that I never keep beer in the house because I have to have a way more serious desire for that beer if I actually want to leave the house, walk to the store to actually buy the beer. And that means if it's just a passing craving, I probably won't do it, which was how it turned out the other day. But what I'm getting at is here is that the commitment vice could be while you're at the store, or it could be just making yourself go to the store in order to have those treats. But either way, I I think those are a really good example of a commitment device in action. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but simply opening the refrigerator and seeing that frosty bottle of beer is enough to generate that passing craving that would never be generated if I didn't see it. Right. Advertisers use that all the time, showing us those delightfully delicious pictures of things that we didn't even know we wanted. Yeah, until a second ago, right? Yeah. So, right. So leaving the stuff at the store or inserting, you know, some friction between you and the behavior, that's a type of commitment device. I have seen a much more elaborate version of this. Honestly, this strikes me as a little silly, but it does exist. There is a safe, a little food safe that you can put your treats in. It's electronic and you program it and it will automatically lock you out at a certain time of day. It's That is extreme, but quite clever. (laughs) Or, you know... (laughs) Much more commonly used, I think, are those programs that you put on your computer that prevent you from logging on to social media sites or shopping sites during certain hours, either, you know, while you're trying to get work done or maybe after a certain hour of the day or something. That's another really popular commitment device. And while we're talking about extreme versions of commitment devices, there's this thing called Pavlock, and it's this wearable device you put around your wrist, just looks like a a tiny little watch, and it uses electrical stimulus, i.e. it shocks you, (laughs) to help you start good habits and stop bad ones. And the makers of the device actually say that it works by associating the habit you want to change or improve with a, and I quote, slightly uncomfortable electrical impulse. (laughs) 
Completely harmless, I'm sure. (laughs) Completely harmless. The website promises that in as little as a few weeks, with consistent use, your brain will actually begin to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I don't like smoking, or hold on, maybe I don't need that second donut. I guess it's kind of like squirting your cat with a spray bottle when it does something naughty. Mm. Well, I feel like this is just the human version of those um, underground fences that we put around our lawns where the dogs oh, yeah. wear the collars and they and they shock them when they go too close. Exactly. Yeah. Let's see if we can't find something a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, let's dial it back. But look, with a commitment de- device, no matter what it is, we're just acknowledging that in the heat of the moment, our capacity or our willingness to follow through on our plans is likely to falter And we're taking preemptive steps to save ourselves from ourselves. I mean, that's really the key. We're trying to protect ourselves from ourselves. Right. And this isn't a new problem. Back in the 19th century, economist Nassau William Sr. wrote this. To abstain from the enjoyment which is in our power or to seek distant rather than immediate results are among the most painful exertions of the human will. Ooh, I like your... um 19th century voice. It's yes. just a little Dickensian. Yeah. I, w- I was accentuating the over-the-topness of that <laughs> statement. It does seem a little extreme, but it really, it does kind of feel kind of painful sometimes. But luckily, unlike Odysseus, most of our heat-of-the-moment decisions don't lead to our death or the peril and death of the entire crew and ship and all that kind of stuff. So this means that the devices that we employ can be lower stakes as well, which is good news for all of us. Yeah, that's the good thing. I remember writing about another commitment device. This is years ago, and it was popularized by Ian Ayers. He's a behavioral economist at Yale. He wrote a book called Carrots and Sticks, Mm. and he created a website that was essentially a commitment device. So basically, you create an account and you draw up a contract with yourself agreeing to do or not to do a certain thing, whatever it is. But in addition to saying what you intend to do, you also set a financial penalty for failing to do it. Mm. And not just that, you actually give them your credit card and you pick what institution will receive any fines that are assessed. It's pretty hardcore. That's hardcore. And then each week of your contract, you or you can designate a referee if you don't trust yourself to be (laughs) honest. um, They have to sign into the website and certify whether or not you fulfilled your contract. And if you didn't, or even if you just failed to check in, then your credit card will be charged that predetermined penalty. (laughs) Talk about putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. So there's two levels of this, and here's where it gets really ingenious. You can pick a charity that you want to support Mm -hmm. if you end up having to pay the penalty. But if you want an even more potent commitment device, you can designate an anti-charity to get the money. So if you fail to keep your promise to yourself, your money gets given to an organization that you really don't want to support. Mm. And if you want to lash yourself to that particular mast, you can do so by going to stickk.com. So it's S-T-I-C-K-K.com. And be sure to let us know how that goes. I, while I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking I'd probably do better with the anti-charity. Oh, for sure. Because actually years ago, 
when I when I quit smoking, one of the biggest motivators for me to actually quit was that I realized how much money I was giving to these nasty, evil mm. corporations that I really didn't want to be supporting. And that was huge motivation for me. So yeah, I can see how the anti-charity would often work better than the, the good charity. Absolutely. Same for me. <laughs> I might want to screw up to donate to the SBCA. <laughs> well, or at least there's an upside, right? Yeah. But another um, sort of less extreme example of a commitment device that's very widespread and very effective, actually, is having your employer or even just your personal bank automatically deposit a certain amount of your paycheck into your retirement account or into a savings account before it ever even hits your account. I love that. Yeah. So you're not, it's not there to spend. But I have kind of a silly version of this. Sometimes if I have a long plane flight and I have work that I want to do, I know I'm not going to want to do the work on the flight. So my commitment device is I get on the plane without a book or a newspaper or any podcasts loaded up mm -hmm. to entertain me. And eventually I know I will actually get bored enough to do the work that I brought. Ooh, that actually reminds me of a milder form of commitment device that's called temptation bundling. Ooh, that sounds good. Now, it turns out that you can incentivize healthy but effortful actions by bundling them with something else that you really enjoy. Now, for example, if you pre-commit to only ever listening to your favorite playlist or your favorite podcast or only watching your guilty pleasure TV show when you're at the gym, then you have an extra reason beyond the goal of getting stronger and more agile, <clears throat> says the fitness coach in the room. Um, then you have an extra reason to stick to that fitness plan. And as you probably guessed, this is a technique that specifically helps you overcome what is called present bias. And that's the tendency that us silly humans have to gravitate toward smaller, sooner rewards, like the playlist or the TV show at the gym, instead of later and bigger rewards, i.e., in this case, better physical health. And you may know this as the marshmallow experiment. Ah, yes, the marshmallow experiment, <laughs> where they gave little kids the choice of having one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. Yep. And there were some kids that chose two marshmallows later, and then they followed them for like through adolescence. And that initial ability to delay gratification was was linked to a lot of positive outcomes. But I have also seen critiques of that in more recent years. But yeah. but yeah, the 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 overall concept here, right, is that we're going to incentivize ourselves or penalize ourselves, but that we're going to put these things into place to get ourselves to do something that we know we're not going to want to do in the moment. Exactly. So those are a bunch of different ways that commitment devices could look. But as we were collecting examples of this, I found myself wondering what the potential drawbacks or even just like the limitations of this approach. Yeah, I think you even mentioned that you kind of felt like this was a little bit hackish, like the way that people use that word these days of like, you can hack your morning and hack your yeah. temptations. And those are, are fun, but they're not always, they're not all upside. Well, right. And to take this beyond the level of the gimmick, I wanted to explore, you know, what are the possible limitations? Right. And interestingly, although if you go to the behavior science literature and you search for commitment devices, you'll get a bunch of hits not a lot about the limitations. And mm. I feel sure there are some. So 
I'm just going to start this conversation with the ones that occurred to me, and I'll let the researchers take it from here. So one thought that occurred to me is that a commitment device obviously relies on external factors to motivate or to constrain our behavior, you know, that shock on the wrist. Mm -hmm. And so by definition, we're not basing our actions on intrinsic motivation or intrinsic rewards. So my concern is, you know, if those external factors go away, Mm -hmm. are we then more vulnerable? Because we haven't linked that desired behavior to anything like really internally meaningful to us. Right. And if you only ever blindly adhere to a behavior because of the device that you've employed, well, I think you rob yourself of some really valuable personal growth and learning. Mm. And if you never take the time to delve into the feelings or the emotions or the beliefs that are holding you back from adhering to your plans alone, just from your own volition, you'll never move past this barrier and you'll always need to be lashed to that mast which really doesn't seem sustainable because you're not going to do that forever, are you? Right. Although, you know, on the other hand, I think this is now the third hand. (laughs) Would it be possible that a commitment device could be useful just to get us over the initial hump Mm -hmm. of our resistance to a new behavior to the point where we are then getting enough intrinsic reward that that keeps us going? So, you know, we start to see that balance in our savings account growing and starting to resemble something that we could actually do something fun with and and that motivates us to keep going or or we we really start to see and feel the benefits of that regular exercise practice and then that's enough to motivate us to continue even if it weren't for the the favorite playlist or the the guilty pleasure book or whatever I mean, that takes just a certain level of awareness. Yeah. So if you're doing these things and you have that awareness and you really are paying attention, then then yeah, I think that's a really great point. Just getting over that initial hump. Sometimes you need a smack on, or a zap on the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so here was another possible limitation, and that is that to the extent that our commitment devices are things that we are choosing and designing for ourselves it might be easy for us to simply redesign them or or even just to hack them, right? Mm. So let's say I set my cookie safe to automatically lock the cookies in at 8 p.m., but I can always go in there at 7.55 and take out some cookies, right? <laughs> oh, you sneaky bugger. Or I leave some treats out of the safe accidentally. Or, you know, <laughs> maybe I check in on stick.com, but then I'm not entirely honest about whether or not I did the thing because I don't want to pay the penalty. Mm. Although, now that I think of it, the Nutrition GPA app that we've talked about before, some of you use it, is a sort of commitment device, right? Oh, yeah. A a way to kind of nudge healthier behaviors by knowing that you are going to get a grade for them at the end of the day. But it still depends on self-reporting, right? You can totally open up the app and (laughs) lie (laughs) when you answer the (laughs) questions. But, you know... When we employ commitment devices, it's because we supposedly want to create the behavior that we're committing to, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm assuming with the Nutrition GPA that your intrinsic desire to improve your eating habits and your conviction that you would benefit from improving your eating habits is going to be stronger than your desire to lie just so that you can get a good grade. I mean, this isn't an app that only you will ever see. It's not like you're going to have to submit your transcripts for your next job interview. So yeah, it's a balance, clearly. Yeah. And that's probably the key right there too, is if 
if I was expecting that you were going to be checking in on me every day on that app, I might be more inclined mm. to be like, oh, well, it was just a little bit of processed flour. So <laughs> I can skip that question. But because it is just for me, I think I'm a lot more honest with it. Yeah. But I guess when it comes to, to hacking things, even if we don't necessarily set out to hack them deliberately, in some cases, specifically the case of that stickk.com website, I'd worry about a behavior that's known as moral licensing. Ooh, that sounds fancy. <laughs> yeah, it's a really fancy way. We all have this type of mental accounting that we engage in on a day-to-day -day basis. We're always just sort of being like, oh, well, I did a little bit of this so I can do a little bit of that, or I put mm. some more money in here so I can spend some money over here. We're sort of always doing that mental accounting just by default. And then I worry that with the the stick.com, that moral licensing that uh, might give us the the feeling that we can indulge a little bit more because we feel that we've earned it. For example, if we miss our gym session and we know that you're the money is going to be donated to the SPCA, let's say, then, well, personally, I might feel like I've earned that extra treat to uh, take the day off the gym or maybe even to go a little further to having some cookies or something. Yeah, boy, that could really backfire. <laughs> we need to do a whole episode on moral licensing because that sounds like a real trap. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of different versions of it too. So yeah. stay tuned for that one. No, but that sounds intuitively right. That if I do something good, then I let myself off the hook a little bit on something else. Yeah. yeah. All right. A third possible limitation that I thought of is that if you have a whole lot of goals that you're working on, which by the way, we, we don't recommend, <laughs> no. but if you have a whole stack of things that you're trying to do every day and you are trying to put commitment devices in place to supply all of your motivation to follow through on all of those different things, it seems to me you're going to be spending an awful lot of time designing and administering commitment devices. Mm. And at that point, I hear your voice in my ear saying, are we maybe overcomplicating things a little bit, Ryan Eagle? <laughs> yeah. And spending that time making solid plans to, to set yourself up for success seems a lot more, I don't know, a lot smarter. Or investigating our intrinsic motivation and right. all of that. And, and here's one last possible drawback. And I don't mean to be dumping on commitment devices. I mean, we brought this topic to you listeners as, <laughs> as a potential tool that you could use, but we just want to be mindful about it. And here's what came to mind for me, having seen people do this a lot. And that is that we can overcommit in our commitment devices. Mm. And here's mm -hmm. what I mean by that. In that preemptive mode where, you know, cooler heads are supposed to prevail, we may commit our future self to actions that are actually unnecessarily difficult or austerities that are really harsh, or maybe they have unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. For example, I could set up an unrealistically aggressive savings program that involves automatic withdrawals from my checking account, and then I end up bouncing checks as a result. So when you are making commitments for your future self, if you're employing a commitment device, please don't forget to be kind and reasonable to your future self. So, okay, as you can see, we have outlined a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses, admittedly, probably more minuses than pluses. Like all of the things that we talk about on this podcast, Remember, not all tools work for everyone, and not all tools work for every situation. 
For example, putting the barrier of walking to the store between me and beer works well for me in that situation. But I'm, I know that I'm vulnerable to moral licensing, so the stick.com would actually trip me up. Mm. Now, this doesn't mean that we think you should just throw out this entire category known as commitment devices. Just don't throw that out the window. But what we are saying is that we want you to consider the devices that you choose carefully and always continue to monitor how effectively or, or not that they are actually working for you. And always bring that awareness with you as well while you're using it. So you're learning and you're growing and you're changing. Yeah, that last point is a good one, Brock. And that is it may work for a while and we want to check in and make sure that it's still working. Very little about behavior change is truly set it and forget it. Right. Yeah. It's more a set it, forget it for a little while and then revisit it. (laughs) So here are my takeaways from our conversation about commitment devices. I think these things are going to be most useful for us when the goal is very desirable, but the actions needed to reach the goal are not. Mm-hmm. I think we can probably all think of a few examples of those. Mm-hmm. Commitment devices can be in the form of carrots or rewards, or they can be sticks or penalties. So you can compel yourself to do something that you're averse to, either by coupling it with a treat or by coupling the failure to do it to a consequence. Right. And then, of course, lashing yourself to the mast is another option where you just make it physically or otherwise impossible to do the thing that you know you'll be tempted to do but will regret afterward. But as you just said, Brock, my final takeaway is that commitment devices are not the solution to every behavioral challenge you may face. They're a tool in the toolbox. And like any tool, the real key to this is recognizing when it is the best tool for the job. And obviously, the more tools you have in the toolbox, well, then the better chance you have of completing any project. So let's just right. put this in the toolbox. Along with all the other <laughs> 89 episodes that we've done of yeah, this show. That's right. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a tool in each one of those. And speaking of tools, the lab experiment for this episode is pretty, pretty simple. What we want you to do is think about what some commitment vices are that you have used in the past. Then think about how they've worked for you. And if they didn't work out, why didn't they work out? And if they did work out, what do you think the magic superpower was? Then in your current endeavors, think about where might a commitment device be helpful for you right now. And then finally, make a plan to put that commitment device in place and keep monitoring, of course. Right. I want to hear what you come up with. I'm gonna, we're going to have a little prize for the most creative commitment device. <laughs> All right. Bonus points if it involves half bird, women, and shipwrecks. <laughs> and ear, earwax. Ooh, <laughs> no, beeswax. <laughs> beeswax in your ears. And with that, we're out. We'll be back soon. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Brock Armstrong and Monica Ryan.